Hello, and welcome to the Informa Pharma Intelligence Podcast. I'm Mike Ramirez with Data Monitor Healthcare. So this is the first podcast of the year for 2020. So uh, I thought I w- we'd start things out by talking a little bit about uh, setting the stage for 2020 in the biopharma space. And, you know, naturally, the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference from about two weeks ago is about is going to be part of that conversation. Uh, so the meeting as everyone knows, is uh, sort of the unofficial kickoff for the year uh, for the industry. Uh, and I think one of the main takeaways that most people um, have said about the meeting this year is that there was a notable lack of earth-shattering M&A announcements associated with this year's meeting. Um, but, you know, it, it's a very large meeting, and there was lots of interesting things going on. We had actually uh, four people uh, going to the conference itself in person, uh, and we're actually joined today by uh, two brilliant members of our insights team uh, who attended the conference, and they're going to talk about a few things that jumped out to them. Uh, so we have Jessica Merrill uh, and Andrew McConaughey, and uh, I'll let them just introduce themselves. Uh, Jessica? Uh, hey, Michael. Thanks for having me join your podcast. Uh, yes, as you said, I'm Jessica Merrill. I am a senior editor at Informa, and I've been covering the pharmaceutical industry for about 15 years. I write mainly for Script and The Pink Sheet, two of our publications, and I focus largely on commercial news, so topics like M&A, new drug launches, sales and earnings, market access, and drug pricing, to name a few. Um, and so, uh, Andrew, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. We- yeah, sure. I'm, I'm Andrew McConaughey. I'm based in London. I write for Script. And I write a lot about a lot of those things that you've talked about there, Jess, but uh, anything fast-moving and slow-moving things as well, including R&D. So, uh, yeah, but a JPM was my, this was my first JPM, so it's quite, I was wide-eyed and full of wonder <laughs> when I turned up in San Francisco. And on the other hand, I've been going to JP Morgan for at least 10 years, um, although I did miss some years in between while my kids were little. But, um, yeah, so I've been, uh, I've seen a big change uh, in the meeting over the years and honestly, you know, I just always feel like it's such a privilege to be at the the meeting. Um, it's insanely crowded. It's impossible to find a hotel room on a reporter's budget and all of that. Um, and it's a lot of work once you're there. Uh, but then I always leave feeling so engaged and energized and and uh, excited about the conversations that I had uh, with with people and having access to some of the industry's top leaders. So I, despite all the pushback against the meeting lately, I still think it's great. Yeah. So just yeah. and we we had Mandy Jackson with us and Brian Yang. So Mandy Mandy's based in San Diego, isn't she? And um, yes. So and it took it so it took four of us from three different continents to try and cover. We still didn't really cover it all because there's an awful lot to do to do there. But it was good uh, to to get together on that and uh, yeah, sort of take the temperature of the industry. And it uh, yeah, Brian coming in from Beijing that you know showed you just how global it's becoming. Really, actually, it's because the Chinese presence was was considerable this time as well. Wow. Three continents. Wow. Had, had Mandy and Brian been to the conference before or no? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, Mandy's been for many years and I know Brian was there last year as well. So, Wow. Very cool. I guess the one of the, the first questions I have for you guys is, do you think it should be in San Francisco still? I know it's always like the topic that everyone talks about afterwards. Uh, yes. I'm going to say yes, after this year. Last year, if you'd asked me, I might have had a different opinion. But this year, honestly, the meeting seemed quieter. Um, I think a lot of people, maybe maybe some people didn't come or, or they didn't bring as big uh, a, a number of executives or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was actually pretty pleasant this year. 
So I don't know. I still think the the history is there. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be the same if it was in San Francisco, basically. <laughs> I would miss walking around all those hotel rooms. <laughs> one hotel to another across San Francisco. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, J.P. Morgan always sets the, the tone for the year. And that's what I think it makes it so interesting. Um, and yes, there was not a lot of big deal news, as you mentioned. And actually, honestly, not really that much news at all. Um, because that's what I'm always looking for. But... At first, well, that seemed so like stressful and disquieting, I guess, and, and everyone talking about it. The more I talked to industry leaders and heard from drug makers during the, the next four days, it just felt like everything is actually just moving quite smoothly and uh, companies are executing on their, uh, their strategies that they've had in place now for a couple of years. So there's been a lot of change, um, a lot of change in the leadership, say, in the last two years at some of the big pharmas like at GlaxoSmithKline with Emma Walmsley and at Pfizer with Albert Burla and Novartis with uh, Voss, Nerasimon. And now they're really starting to make some progress on um, the plans that those leaders have put in place. Um, and so in that way, it was actually um, by the time I left the meeting, it just felt like, wow, the industry is really sort of on a modest organic growth trajectory. Um, a lot of the companies and there is going to be some deals, but there's just not that urgency to mm -hmm. do the deals. That was sort of my takeaway. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I think we're, we're going to come on to that now. But uh, yeah, I, 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 just, we, I can't compare to previous ones, but it was, you know, the point is that uh, there's a similar one. There's a Jeffrey's conference in London, but it, everyone says it's just a, a fraction of the size. So, you know, you can just sort of turn a corner and you see people that you know or that you want to talk to and you can you can just come and talk to them and so you know all human biopharma life is there so you know it uh, it's really handy and you can do a, a lot in, in a few days few manic days that you couldn't do in a year otherwise so it's uh it serves a, a real purpose i see yeah and talking about the, the deals a little bit too um so i mean deals are going to come eventually right but is there any companies that you that you thought you know seemed more poised than others to announce a major M&A deal this year just based on kind of their fundamentals or, or sort of what hints they might have said at the conference uh well yeah I mean I think one is possibly Biogen um, where investors are really eager to see uh, something moving into you know the commercial market aside from possibly this high-risk Aducanumab Alzheimer's program, and they said they have about 16 billion in financial capacity for deals. Uh, Gilead, also obviously uh, one where investors are really eager to see some business development activity. And uh, CEO Daniel O'Day um, said the company would be approaching M&A um, in a quote uh, position of strength, but with a sense of urgency. So I think they're obviously going to be. Uh, working on something, and a lot of people had hoped they would announce something uh, at J.P. Morgan. Um, and beyond that, I mean, we have, you know, a lot of the people that I talked to at J.P. Morgan saying, yeah, we're going to keep up this pace of deal deals that we had in 2019 in 2020, but a lot of it is around their really now focused strategies and the therapy areas that they're working in. So, um, for example, uh, Pfizer CEO Albert Borla reiterated what he's been saying about business development uh, really for the past year that Pfizer's looking at now phase two ready, phase three ready assets uh, in their core therapeutic areas that will become drugs uh, later. 
out. So past 2024. Um, and I heard that from a lot of people that sort of, that sort of, um, more bolt on type deal is what I think we'll be expecting. And when I talked to, uh, as some consultants in the field, for example, they say they're expecting deals in the, the range of like 5 billion to 15 billion. Okay. So sort of what we've been seeing is a lot of what we've been seeing. That's the sweet spot, isn't it? That's what, <laughs> that's what they call it. Around 10 billion. But yeah. 15 starting to get less sweet, obviously. I interviewed uh, Levi Garraway, who is the new chief medical officer at Genentech while I was there. And he was saying uh, that one of the things he really admired about Roche uh, and Genentech from being outside the company was their pace of business development and that he really wanted to see that continue. And you might all remember uh, that he is, he used to work at Eli Lilly and he helped execute that LOXO uh, deal around $8 billion um, last year. That was the big news at JP Morgan. So. Maybe we'll see some more from them as well. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, some companies are insisting that that they are going to kind of continue on with the pace of business development similar to last year. Um, Yet, I think that, you know, some people felt that, you know, this year uh, may be slower because of the election. You guys, you know, want to comment on that? um, How do you think, you know, M&A in 2020 might be framed kind of around the election? Do you think perhaps... Um, we'll see things maybe happen before H1 comes to a close, or maybe uh, that largely the industry will sort of hold off until afterwards, after the election's over. I mean, I think that's possible that maybe we'll see more in the first half of the year and then see um, a push, a pullback a little bit in the second half of the year. I don't really know. Uh, my colleague, Mandy Jackson, she did do um, a story that she wrote for Scrip about the financing environment and that that uh, sounds like it's going to be very heavily weighted to the first half of the year uh, because of that that hesitancy about the election in the second half of the year. So, um you know, from the financing standpoint, uh, she talked to a lot of experts who said that sort of that sort of thing. And I think, you know, that could probably also translate to the deal environment. Yeah. The, and the other thing on the on the hesitancy thing, I'm not sh- I'm not so sure about the election because it, it might, might be a driver in some ways, I suppose. Right. But uh, the one thing I picked up on the on, on the hesitancy, hesitancy side is a um, Ernst Young put out a report just before uh, JPM got underway. And it's 2020 M&A firepower. And that involved a big survey of all the pharma decision makers. And it, it had the, it, the, the stat was, I've got it here, 69% of survey deal makers said that the valuation gap between buyers and sellers was the largest it's been since 2008. So that's just, you know, the inflated prices that they're, that they're facing. And uh, the, the, the one thing that came up, one bit of humour I came across was um, in a meeting that was held by Medici, um, and sort of a satellite meeting from JPM. And uh, the partner there was Francesco de Robertis. And he was he had a panel debate with all the, the great and the good from Pharma. And he's, he's a bit of a joker. And he and he said to them, so could you could you just tell me uh, what your next M&A target is then, please? <laughs> which which was it, just the way he said it in his Italian accent. It was it was very amusing. But uh, Vaz Narasimhan was on this panel and he shot straight back. He said, yeah, OK, well, I've got a, I've got a joke for you. Could, could you tell me why uh, uh, biotech valuations have gone so insanely out of control, uh, which, which got a which, well, words to that effect anyway, and which got a big laugh. But, um, I, you, know, you know, that was one of these, you know, never a true, truer word said in jest kind of remarks, because 
um, particularly coming from Nara Seaman, who's who's done you know the most deals in the last few years of anybody. Uh, so I think that's that's the big the big thing uh, that's that's making them hesitant because right. you've got the, yeah you've got the big prices and and then you know when when the companies do move like like one of the few deals that did emerge earlier this year was Lily going for uh, the um, uh, the company Demira. Demira, yeah. And uh, you know everyone said, well, this isn't you know this isn't simply simply isn't worth it. So uh, that's why I think uh, some are holding back and waiting for you know valuations to change essentially. Yeah, and I think I think that's obviously a great point that Andrew just brought up. I mean, that is, and that's why there maybe there's just not this urgency to get a deal done, and why not wait out and see, you know, with some of these valuations. Of course, there's like a lot of companies out there that are looking to be bought. Um, Ameren, for example, is one. Of course, that's had it's a really expensive uh, company and some uncertainty around patent and and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, we thought that was a we thought that was a shoe in for day one of JPM. That was going to be the big big M&A announcement, but it didn't but it didn't come, did it? Yeah. Um so they they've got other plans for now at least. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so they were they were sort of joking around here a little bit, but you know, um there's a sense that the valuation expectants have expectations have really gotten out of hand in this area. Certainly a lot of recent ones you see um companies for, you know, being Acquired for a huge, huge price tag. Um, but I wonder, you know, have either of you seen sort of any analysis on like, you know, do the forecasted returns some of these inflated deals sort of line up with the investments, or for the most part, has it been kind of like this doesn't really make a lot of sense? You know, the, the deals sort of seem um, sort of too expensive for um, for the most part. Or have you seen anything on I that? I think a lot of it remains to be seen. It's yeah. It's hard to say um, with some of the deals that have been done in the last couple of years. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what materializes for Novartis out of the acquisition of Avexis. Zilgensma mm-hmm. is uh, the gene therapy is appears off to pretty strong start commercially, and then they're going to have a pipeline of drugs that they hope to bring forward of new gene therapies. And uh, I think one that will be really interesting. Thing, of course, to watch is going to be the medicines company acquisition for um, what was it, 9.7 billion, um, and in Clasiran for this one product, and how they're going to turn that around given you know the challenges that we've seen with the initial PCSK9 inhibitors. So I think that's a question. Um, what about you, Andrew? Yeah, the one that uh, it's worth harking back to in terms of uh, you know things that went south and didn't work out is uh, the Abvi and Rover T deal that that just you know kept imploding and exploding. So last year I think it was back in August that the last trial and readout you know was a failure. So that's the one to watch out for. But you know it's uh, when when the CEO is under pressure they've got to you know take a risk. Um, eventually like you know again with the with the medicines company so a lot of people saying this is this is inflated but uh you know quite often those those comments are wrong and you know they they, they can execute really well on it and uh and get a good result so it's uh it's 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 far from clear you know at the outset yeah so i mean do you think that these sort of high valuation inflated you know expectations are um kind of be the sort of the status quo for the time being um or is it going to be something that might change in the near term um if you know if so like do you expect that major MA might be sort of less active in this next coming years than maybe it has been in the past no it, it seems it seems like it's part it's absolutely 
part of the of the of the yearly cycle now. It's essential. Oh, I see. You know, and and those biotechs have got to that size, and there's there's enough of them. So that's part of the ecosystem, as far as I can tell. Um, I do think there's there's a lot of focus on more of the mid stage to phase three ready, uh, and uh, you're hearing that from a lot of of the big pharma's at least that that's that they're kind of looking further back. I think that will continue. Yeah. And then you got, I mean, we also, the Gilead, you know, did this interesting Galapagos deal as well. So that was multi-billion dollar, but they they bought a stake in the company, but they didn't buy them out. So it's that, it's just balancing the risk. They're not having, they, they could in future buy Galapagos, but they're, they're not going to do that now. So that's a bit of a smarter way of using your expenditure, capital expenditure, rather than just uh, doing the old traditional M&A route. And I know, uh, you know, uh, Drug pricing is always a, a big topic at this, um, or at least it has been for recently. Um, did you get any, what were the sort of impressions you got from the meeting and you know, the conversations you had about you know, drug pricing? Well, this is obviously the real, the big question that continues to linger over the industry, um, the possible overhang of some kind of more uh, pricing regulations in the U.S., and the industry's really managed to ward off any major policy initiatives. But the big question is, how long is that going to be able to last? Is that going to continue forever? And um, so, yes, it, it always does come up at J.P. Morgan, although it's not usually um, a huge focus. I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, it will obviously become an increasing issue as the election moves forward, especially depending on who the Democratic nominee might be. Um, and I think we'll see more uh I guess, concern, depending on the outcome of, of the democratic uh, process there. But um, I would say one thing that really kind of surprised me at JP Morgan this year was just that that industry leaders still seem to be talking about the same talking points from maybe two years ago in a way like rebate reform um, came up a bunch and in different discussions I had and also at a, a drug pricing panel I was at with pharma um, leaders from pharma, the trade group. And uh, I, I just, that sort of surprised me because that's really been, it seemed like that was kind of um, not a possibility in the near term um, after basically what happened was the Congressional Budget Office um, found that it would cost so much more money to implement rebate reform in terms of the impact on insurance premiums. And so that sort of like no one wanted to own that policy then. So that kind of just died. And uh, anyway, it seemed to me I was sort of surprised to see, you know, pharma still trying to, um, you know, obviously I think pricing transparency would be great, more pricing transparency for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I'm just not so sure about the, the reality of any kind of big sweeping rebate reform in the near term. I see. Yeah, you know, I, I, got, go I, I saw a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert in the same way Jess is on it, but um, I thought it from my understanding of it, it's, it's switched. The, the rebate reform thing is kind of dead in the water. But then you've got the out-of-pocket costs that I think that's included in the Senate Finance Committee's uh, draft legis- uh, proposals. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of the CEOs were coalescing around that point, that there's, there's a way through there. That, that might become law eventually. Um, so people like Emma Walmsley, she's tre- treading a fine line saying, um, yes, we're, we're going st- to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to worry about the politics. But then she backtracked and said, well, ah, ah, yes, we, we are listening. We've got to listen because because <laughs> yeah. the public anger in the U.S. is you know pretty considerable. Well, they all want to do something about the out-of-pocket costs. I mean, that's only a benefit 
to pharma if there's some way to alleviate, you know, the impact on patients and the affordability issue. So that's, you know, that's where pharma is always coming down on uh, the side of that. And they would get behind any initiative that would, um, you know, alleviate that for for people. Um, yeah. And especially, you know, the, the Senate proposal, right, for capping um, out-of-pocket costs for seniors. A lot of people mentioned that as something that they support. Not too yeah. surprisingly. <laughs> and uh, so, I, sh- I should, yeah, I should mention the uh, the EBD group. So the biotech showcase was in was in town as well. Just, you know, a stone's throw away from the actual conference itself. And there was Jim Greenwood for bio there talking with uh, Jeremy Levin from Ovid. And those two are good sort of, uh, not firebrands perhaps, but, you know, spokesmen for the industry. And they were... I think they were coalescing around those ideas as well. Even even if they're, I think Jim Greenwood is never he's a never Trumper Republican, but he he uh, you know he's still uh, on the on the sort of a Trump side rather than uh, you know he's really quite dead set against some of the things coming from Bernie Sanders and them mm-hmm. right. about Medicare for all. So um, that was an interesting meeting. There was there were some you know heated conversations there as well. So I wanted to ask you to just generally you know. Um, could have touched on some of these points already, but um, why do you think that the industry's push for rebate reform really hasn't gained much traction? I mean, is it really just that nobody wants to own that um, that it would cost too much? Uh, no, no political sort of party would want, wants to own that. And you know, on, on the other side, you know, why do you think the capping out of pocket costs for seniors um, proposal has really kind of gained some industry support? I, I mean, I do think that it, it does have a lot to do um, rebate reform with the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty about how that would impact overall healthcare costs, mm-hmm. and so that has been, you know, the big issue. Uh, I mean, would the rebate reform really change very much about the out-of-pocket costs issue, though, or, or would it be more sort of on the side of? I think um, pharma imagines that rebate reform would provide more clarity about where all of the money in the middle is going. And mm-hmm. is that going to lower premiums or are, is that going to fees that the pharmacy benefit managers are keeping? I think they see an opportunity to sort of extract savings um, from some of those extra fees that they're paying. Um, and, and they had statistics at the meeting that, that from a new report from pharma, you know, that, that it's like up to like 40% of the costs aren't going back to the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and so I think they want that transparency in the whole supply chain. Uh, but as far as why it's not getting, I do think it's why it's not getting traction is partly just the challenge of implementing any major rebate reform would upend almost the entire system um, of how drugs are negotiated and put on formularies. So there's that. And then you have the the insurance companies pushing back that, that, that it would, you know, raise the premiums for everybody. And I mean, maybe we'll get to something um, eventually, and I, I did hear that pharma has really been spending a lot of time uh, in Washington, D.C., trying to educate more, continuing their effort, you know, to educate on this. So maybe we will see something eventually. I just, in the near term, it doesn't seem, it seems like we, we might have to think of some other ideas as well. Right. <laughs> it seems kind of dead in the water. Mm. Uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, Andrew, something. Uh, I know that you attended a uh, presentation session by um, Beijing with John Euler. And, um, you know, could you talk a little bit about what struck you about that session? 
Yeah, I think that that continues that continues on this theme about the U.S. market. But it it was an interesting perspective for me, and I, you know, sort of an outsider on that. But uh, John Oil is interesting because he's becoming this outsider because he's 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 gone to China and set up Beijing um, about ten years ago, and so he's it, coming back to America with this success story. It was really interesting. Um, I mean, simply in JPM terms, actually, it was interesting because Beijing they were in this. The, the the Western Hotel they've they've got the main part and they've got this new ugly monstrosity tower that they've built next to it and you go up in this express lift or elevator up to it up, uh, and it's it's got these amazing views over San Francisco but it, the point being though that that wasn't in the the main arena of, of JPM so it hadn't Beijing hadn't quite arrived as far as JPM was concerned um, but it, I think it has actually because it's really remarkable what they what they did this year so. Um, you know, it's the, it's the first Chinese-based headquartered company to develop its own drugs and get it FDA approved. So that that all happened uh, uh, last year, and uh, and, it, and of course it did that that big deal with um, with Amgen, which was a 2.7 billion dollars equity deal, and then partnering with Amgen. Um, so yeah, John Wheeler set set that company up with his um, with his his business partner Xiaodong Wang. And uh, yeah, now they sort of they're looking to be this a global company. So uh, he was presenting that uh, you know really big progress that they'd done over the year, but also reflecting on what how China might change these U.S. dynamics that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he was saying you know we can't go on; it's not sustainable the U.S. model. Um, we're we're actually he stopped you know one of his bullet points was we're making people bankrupt you know U.S. People, uh, patients bankrupt and having to pay these costs in some occasions. Um, so he's quite blunt about that and said, essentially, the growth of the Chinese market can help us recalibrate the whole thing. There's going to be there's going to be uh, high volume, low price growth coming out of China, which can help the industry, you know, spread its where it's getting its growth from and um, really take the pressure off the U.S. market. Which um, I think that was I hadn't heard that before, certainly from a from an executive. So that's that's an interesting idea. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I know obviously a lot of people feel that the drug pricing trends in the U.S. are unsustainable, uh, but this sort of idea of the you know the growth of Chinese revenues kind of feeding back and moderating U.S. prices is uh, definitely an idea I've not come across before. Um, I guess, and you know, do you think it's it's feasible? And how long do you think? you know, it would take for such an effect to take place. Yeah. I mean, it's, you look at, you know, you look at a 10 year t- timeline and you wonder just how far that uh, Chinese market will grow. And I haven't crunched the numbers on it, but I mean, obviously you've got the population there, but uh, I think with great regularity, you see the, the Chinese government uh, put in a rather swinging price cuts. And, you know, unlike the US, there's, there's nothing the companies can do about it. They have to accept it. So, whether or not that will actually uh, come anywhere close to sort of equaling the US in terms of as a growth driver for the industry, you know, is yet to be seen. Like it, you know, you might doubt it based on what, what the Chinese government could do. But uh, so, yeah, we'll see. But it, it, it's obviously going to produce greater growth than the US, but whether or not it will sustain innovation, well, that's a, that's a different matter. Well, and, you know, are, are there any other sort of ex-US markets that you think could have like a similar impact as this, or is this kind of a unique to the Chinese market? Do you think? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't know. But I, I, I think you know, I suppose you're looking at India and a slower growth uh, cycle. But 
but it has to it has to be China really, and mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they really are accepting of of the innovation in the same way that the the US and Europe has been. Um, the growth is there, but it's not it's it's still sort of in terms of innovative innovative products. The uptakes, uh, I understand, is you know it's it's still a small percentage actually. So it's it's still all about the US. I see. Um, so are there any, you know, you were taken by this, this presentation from Beijing, but were there any other company presentations that really impressed you? And same thing for you, Jessica, was there any sort of interesting conversations you had or, or uh, sessions you thought were particularly interesting? Yeah, well, I had so many great conversations. It's hard to uh, pinpoint one or two, but um, I, I talked to Novartis's new pharmaceutical president uh, who took over for Paul Hudson, who went on to become the CEO of Sanofi. And so that was interesting just to get her perspective. She's a woman. um, So that's interesting. We talked about gender diversity in the industry and um, Marie-France Choudan. I'm not sure how she says it. I'm sure I butchered it. Um, And uh, we talked about uh, Inclicerin, which she'll be overseeing the launch of. And so that was really interesting to get her perspective on how they are really viewing what they see as different versus the other PCSK9s, the the antibodies that launch. This is an RNAi drug that will be dosed just twice a year. Um, so they see it as, like she said, a vaccines type approach, um, really to lowering cholesterol because they'll just have so much more control over how it's administered and ensuring that patients take their medicines and they have an interesting reimbursement strategy in place, uh, too, where they think being able to reimburse under Medicare Part B um, versus Medicare Part D, the pharmacy benefit could be an advantage there. Um, and I talked to um, I talked to El Nyalum's president, Barry Green, about um, the fact that they have three launches coming. Um, I mean, they could have three commercial drugs on the market this year if their third one is approved and they've had such interesting um, I think pricing strategies and innovative pricing models that they're trying to implement so we talked about the prevalence-based pricing model that they are rolling out for GiveLari where you know they're guaranteeing payers that if um, the prevalence of the disease ends up being worse more than they expected then they will get a higher rebate type thing so that's really novel and interesting um, and I also, I mean, I talked to uh, Regeneron's uh, development, global development um, VP, David Weinrich. And that was interesting because we talked about their ambitions in oncology, where they're doing a lot of investment now. And, you know, when are when is Regeneron going to get any credibility, really, for being a serious oncology player? Um, they do have this expertise in bispecific antibodies. So it was really interesting talking about, you know, where they see that going. Um, so that was, I mean, just a few. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of very, you know, interesting conversations with lots of different, lots of different people. Uh, how about you, Andrew? Did you see any um, sort of other presentations that were very you know, striking to you? Yeah, there was, uh, like Jessen, there was plenty. Um, I suppose there's some that were remarkable were um, was was Doug Ingram from uh, Sarepta, who's uh, CEO there, and uh, you know that was a, a, a bullish presentation. And they're talking about their, their second approved uh, Duchenne drug, and obviously that's been hugely controversial at the FDA, uh, basically because of the, the paucity of data that's been it's been approved up with. Uh, as with the first one, Exondus. Uh, so, yeah, and in a year's time, they're going to be presenting, I think, the first, you know, pivotal data on the, on their uh, gene therapy for, for Duchenne. 
which will be a big deal one way or another, I think. And the company that, of course, that's linked to them is Roche, who uh, did the uh, a big deal with them at the end of last year to market that drug if and when it gets approved outside of the US. So that's that was also kind of a major validation for for uh, Sarepta, even though uh, as you know we've we've seen the last few weeks, there's been lots of rumblings about how above board it's it's uh, the approval of its drugs have been at the FDA. So that, that's that was a big deal, but you know really didn't get. Uh, it's difficult to get into that uh, in, in the middle of JPM, but that, that was that's something that's going to be something a, a really big deal to watch in 2020. Um, and as I say, yeah, Rush, uh, Bill Anderson at Rush said something interesting. He said uh, maybe the 2020s will be for neuroscience what the last decade was for oncology, uh, which is obviously quite a bold statement. Uh, again, it might be a little bit uh, hype there because it's difficult to see. Uh, oncology being disp- deposed has been really the big driver for the industry but it, uh, it certainly that was one trend I think it was f- pretty pretty sh- sure to say that there was a lot more neuroscience CNS uh, uh, companies presenting this time around so you know there's a lot in the pipeline so some of that could come good and uh, it will be pretty interesting uh, you know progress whereas where it's all been about oncology for the last few years. Oh. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it turns out, you know, GPM wasn't as quiet as everyone says, you know. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's lots, lots of things going on. Um, and I'm glad you guys had a chance to go and, and uh, attend in person. Did anyone get a $25 cup of coffee? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. No, but, but uh, no, uh, we have secured our 2021 accommodations in our top secret location. Oh. Um, that is a decent price. Now that that is some that's a solid find right there. That's an accomplishment right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that uh, just about wraps things up. Uh, you know, so though this was not you know sort of the M and A filled JPM, we've come to sort of expect uh, certainly a lot of interesting conversations that um, people had about pricing the election year and having something to do with that. Um, perhaps some deals to come throughout the year and some exciting, definitely some exciting ongoing development programs. Uh, with that, I'll just say thank you to Jessica and Andrew for joining. Thank you guys both very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. having us. And with that, we'll just uh, say thanks and list- thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.